Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Today's guest on the show, Eric Christensen, Eric Foyle on Instagram, one of my favorite guests. If you do not follow Eric yet on Instagram, I would highly suggest that you go and do that now because he has he is someone who has, for the last few years, led the charge in all aspects of foiling. And what I most enjoy about talking to Eric is his passion for the sport and passion for the community. And it always comes across when we have these conversations. So, Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Been I'm looking forward to this. I'm stoked. What have you been up to? It's been a bit. Yeah, so as my wife's great-grandmother said, there's been a lot of water passed under the bridge since we last spoke. <laughs> <laughs> and across the foil. Right, right. Yeah, I've been sort of going down the rabbit hole of downwinders. I think it's kind of coincided with yours, too. So that's what's been getting my thrills lately is chasing that downwinder. Where do you put downwinding in the hierarchy of foil sports? Yeah, so I've thought about this and kind of kicked it around with Lance and discussed it and i kind of agree with aaron evelyn when he told me that it was like absolutely the apex of foiling the most pure and beautiful way of experiencing foiling and it's definitely not without paying your dues it's very difficult as anybody that's chased it knows it's really a daunting challenge to to try to obtain that goal i can't even say i've arrived yet i'm still just on the super beginning part of it i'm just starting to see the the light at the end of the tunnel so it's definitely go ahead where have your sticking points been oh man you know of course downwinders you know sup downwinders you get the getting going and then the staying going (laughs) (laughs) and so the getting going is really it's a difficult thing to do if you Well, I think for everyone, even if you have a paddling background, which I didn't have before foiling came along, I'd never stand up, done any stand up paddling at all. So yeah, getting going was, there's like voodoo to that. I don't know. That's how it was for me. I'm somewhat of a, I consider myself a slow learner. So where other people kind of take to it quickly, I've just kind of struggled maybe a little longer than your average person but yeah getting going and then the staying going thing you know i kind of started this whole endeavor when like i had mentioned aaron evelyn described to me as that winder sup downwinder foiling was absolutely the best way to experience foiling i had to he had just come back from hood river he had driven his motor home down here to the ranch during that covid pandemic tour where he took his family in that vintage motorhome and done all 50 states i had the honor and privilege of having him come visit me and come foil south padre with me and he was hot and heavy for downwinder foiling he had just cracked the code with eric sturman at hood river and he's like no you've got to get a sup board you've got to start putting in your hours paddling it you got to get it because you're going to love foiling downwind and at that time i was like well you know that sounds like a big challenge it sounds like way out of my comfort zone you know i was prone foil only kind of in my brain at that time and but he was pretty convincing and you know i have a lot of admiration for him and so i was like man if he says it it's got to be true so i ordered a board and got a paddle and i started the process and man i think there's a lot of guys out there that are kind of understand what i'm talking about when they're just a surfer guy that picked up foiling and then they try to paddle standing up on a foil board it's ridiculous you can't even paddle the thing straight to begin with you know just no paddle background just 
start from zero. So yeah, I was, I was in it, you know, from the zero floor and it was daunting challenge and it's continued to be daunting. I can say there are many times during this learning process where I'm like, you know, I think that there's a chance that this is actually too difficult for me to learn. (laughs) (laughs) So I think probably a lot of people can identify with it. Like it's something else, but yeah, as I, I had a discussion with Dave Kalama in Paia when I was in Maui like a year ago. Well, it was a year and a half ago. It was winter. My first trip to Maui, I was visiting with Alex and I had board problems and I ended up buying a prone board from Dave and he met me halfway at Paia and he was talking to me and I was like, man, Dave, I'm trying to maybe learn downwinding, but it's so difficult and so he explained to me that you just have to work with what little bit of progress you can make each time and kind of look to that as to be your motivation to continue on because it's a slow process at times and you can make small gains and you got to just cherish those small gains and so that was reinvigorating for me at one of the points of frustration so how was the wing journey for you relative oh oh man yeah so winging was very similar at first um just straight frustration sessions for like five in a row i'd get done and be like this is stupid i hate winging nobody wants to do this kind of thing why would i mess with this (laughs) and it was just overwhelming i'm not really a water sports i mean a wind sports guy so i'd never been in the water with a kite or you know anything flapping in the wind so to be in the water falling down over and over with this thing flapping in the wind and jerking on my wrist. I'm like, this is bananas. I hate this. But quickly, I picked it up. And I'd say it was real important for me and my winging journey to have people give me input and to give me reassurance, like to tell me, you know, you're going to love it, stick with it, you'll get it. In that respect, there was a lot of quick progress. I felt like I made pretty quick progress winging. I remember having a phone call with Alex Aguera, and I was like, you know, should I be trying to learn to wing goofy foot and regular foot, or am I wasting my time? I had some discussions online with various people, and some of the camp was, no, you just need to wing regular foot. You don't need to learn the other way. And other people were like, no, you got to switch your feet. and So Alex was definitely a switch your feet camp. And I'm like, that's crazy to learn to foil goofy foot. I can't even hardly switch foot on a longboard. Definitely can't paddle into a wave and pop up goofy. Switch foot sounds bananas on a foil. Like That's going to be so difficult. But I actually picked that up relatively quickly. So I feel like I learned winging more quickly than I've learned the nuances of downwinder foiling but now i'm finally getting to the place to where i can see that that it is achievable and i've made some gains you know when i started this endeavor in earnest i like for sure like this is i'm going to do everything i can to learn downwinders was about a year ago i'm like i'm just gonna full throttle focus my energy on getting this and i joined the coach casey club you know, I bought the equipment that, you know, was suggested at the time. And so I just decided to take it on like a student, you know, and do my homework, literally sitting, reading information from the Coach Casey Club and watching videos with the intention of, you know, finding out what's working and what's not working. And it's been something else. And like I said, the, probably the first three quarters of that year were just straight up, you know, frustration and getting humbled. Definitely a lot of humbling sessions. I don't, I've heard you talk about the three outbursts and you're done kind of (laughs) concept. That's Phil and I have a 15 minutes. So if you go for 15 minutes and you're out there in the gnarly conditions and it's not working, then you might want to come in and regroup because 
that's a, if you don't make it happen in 15 minutes, you're probably not going to make it happen for the next 45. And what foil are you mostly riding downwind? Well, it's been evolving. So James Casey and his coach Casey club suggestions said, you know, start with the biggest foil you can get your hands on. And I got my hands on a Maliko 280 and it was gigantic, big, fat, slow foil. But I was at that time, early on, I was trying to do some bay downwinders. As soon as I got started in the fall, I wasn't able to make a lot of progress. And then we got into the time of the year when we get these blasting north winds that are like 35 to 45 knots. And so I was doing stuff in bay between the barrier island and the mainland. And there's not much fetch and there's tiny little tight bumps and so i was doing a lot of downwinder runs and like knee high and less bumps real tight close together slow moving bumps i've graduated as i've gotten to you know bigger and better bumps i've dropped foil sizes so at hood river i was just there recently and what was that that was the end of july the first couple of days of august and I actually dropped three foil sizes in one day as the conditions improved. And I was there and I had the privilege and honor of foiling with, you know, Jeremy Riggs and Dave Kalama and Tomo. And some of those top players in the game were in kind of had the opportunity to have Jeremy coaching me some. So that was an amazing experience. I feel like I, gain more progress on that trip than I have in the last year put together. That's amazing. I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. I was drinking coffee at the GoFoil house that they'd rented in Stevenson, and I'm having a question-answer session with Dave Kalama and Jeremy Riggs, like, talking about what, you know, best practices can help me get going and stay going and, you know, just having that discussion with them, telling them what I'd learned and asking what they thought about, you know, advice I'd been given. I was just like, holy cow, this is too good to be true. What do you think it is about downwind that's so captivating? Well, going all the way back to when I first saw surf foiling, I saw that video of Kai Lenny riding a chopped downwinder board with a foil on it. And he was out there off of Maui, out in open water, mm-hmm. and he was just foiling open ocean. That was my first, you know, like, glimpse of what surf foiling would be. I, you know, at that time, I didn't even have a concept of foil surfing and waves, you know, like well, the majority of the foiling I've done now. But when I saw that video, that was the beginning of me being intrigued with foiling. I was just blown away by the idea that there was no beginning or there was no end to his ride. It appeared in the video. Like he's just going and going. And the concept of just riding perpetually from the beginning to now is just still such a captivating. You're going to continue going. So I think that's been a big part of it. And then another part of it is like I referenced our bay is this body of water that's gets whipped up in a wind and, I've always thought about what it would take. I always wanted to ride like an 11.6 and just try to ride a board in the bay and see if you would just go. I, you know, I used to just look at the bay when it was whipped up like that and think, you know, could you ride that on a surfboard? Could you keep going? And so it's kind of always been in my mind. Could you do that? And now through foiling and through the concept of downwind foiling, it's, that's actually possible. Now I've actually done it in that bay. So it's just been so crazy to have these things come to real realization that I can do that. So yeah, it's definitely an amazing feeling. I think you know what I'm talking about and everybody knows what I'm talking about when you just, when it's clicking and you're connecting, linking, it's just so amazing. I think it goes back to your flow concept. These, you just so, captivated and engaged in making decisions and you know conditions and mind and body and 
your tendons pulling bones and joints and making movements that keep you going down through the wind bumps. It's just an absolute harmony between the energy of that ocean and wind and sea and then your body and you're just your skill level makes it possible to continue going. So the gear and the skill and the conditions all come together and just when it's clicking and happening, it's just such an amazing experience. Yeah. I'm addicted. I'm absolutely right. My journey through it has been different in that where I thought winging was daunting to learn. Like I did not enjoy the process of winging at all. I spent a lot of time right. little sups and I sup foiled before I prone foiled. And I thought that part was actually, once I learned like what I should be looking for and what I should pop up on, it happened pretty quickly for me. That, now I just love the that's game. Awesome. I'm addicted to the game of it. Just I, my, you know, seeing how far I can, and generally my runs, I've got two runs that I do frequently, which are both six miles. And I like, I like to see the game I play is like, how low can I keep my heart rate through the run, which means that I'm using energy of the ocean much better. And so there's certain days we did a prone downwinder the other day. I posted something about it, but Austin, Tovey, Brian, and I, and it was just a hell run. I mean, oh, no. it was, we got out there, the wind kind of switched. It got really light. We decided to send for six miles and it was a lot of pumping. I mean, bait pods everywhere. The second time I hit a bait pod, I was at the five mile mark and it took me, I didn't stall out. I was like, I could not believe I didn't stall because I got really slow. My watch said like six, seven miles an hour, but it took me like 20, 30 seconds to pump back up to speed and get back on a bump. My heart rate, I saw it on the beach was 180. Oh my goodness. I was like seeing stars. I just worked it back to the beach and just kind of like instead of a six mile run, it was like a five, <laughs> five and a yeah. quarter. I felt pretty terrible about it. Then I got back to Austin's house and Austin was like, dude, I almost died. Like I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And uh, we were joking in the car right there. Cause Austin's 24. And I was like, dude, you can't complain about nothing. You got 24 year old cardio. And he kept thinking to himself the whole run. I got 24 year old cardio. I can do this. I got 24 year old. Yeah. Cardio. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I hate that feeling when you get back on the beach and you feel like junior high PE, you feel like you're going to barf. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Jittery. I may or may not have thrown up in my mouth a little bit right when yeah. I came off oil. Jeez. It's fascinating to me how the conditions can be, like you say, you have a totally different experience from one thing to another, one place to another, one day to another. It seemed like it. So at Hood River, last year, Austin Kalama was doing rock starts off the rocks at the hatchery, and he would do these laps. He would rock start, pump out to the bumps, just ride the bumps down to the last place you could get out there at the hatchery. And then he'd climb out, walk back up, and do another lap. It's like, I don't know, a little more than a quarter mile downwind run. But mm-hmm. last year, Lance and I tried and tried to get rock starts going and just couldn't seem to stomp it. And so I had practiced here before the trip this year. I wanted to have rock starts locked in before we went. And so I think I got it like fifth try at the hatchery. It was my first time in the water at the hatchery for this trip. And I got going on that fifth attempt and pumped out to the bumps. And it was so amazing. It's like, I couldn't make a mistake. And I'm like, it's all connecting. Like everything is clicking. Everything is working. I'm not working that hard. I'm not panic pumping. Uh, you know, and these phrases come to my mind. I don't know. I'm a very auditory person, but, you know, these things that I've heard in your podcasts and things that I've heard people tell me and things that I've read, they just come up to my conscious brain, you know, like Dave Kalama saying, you know, make a decision early and stick with it. And, you know, James Casey, you know, don't pump through it. Trust that you're going to stay on the glide. And everything was just clicking and i was like oh my god this is so rad and you know i'm not trying to toot my own horn or jinx myself or anything but for every single rock start downwind run that i did on this hood river trip and there must have been from the beginning of the end to the end of that trip i must have done you know 45 or so 
laps, I didn't fall once out in the river. And I got out in the middle of the river, you know, no PFD, no leash. And, you know, it's somewhat risky for someone at my level. And I didn't fall. And I'm like, man, this place is, and I've heard that, you know, Hood River is like, when it's on, it's like the training wheels. It's easier than anywhere else. And that's what Aaron had told me. You got to get it clicking at Hood River and then you can take it and build on that and go back to, a, you know, where you're from and go out in the ocean and kind of continue the learning process. But yeah, it was so easy. It seems so easy to me. I don't know if it was just all my hard work and study paying off or if it was just that much easier or both or what. But yeah, it's crazy that I've had those same experiences as you out in the surf on a prone surf line downwind or just getting completely gassed and just i can't keep going can't keep panic pumping anymore i can't make it work and just like have to call it quits abort the run short that's you know the shore runners for us have started now turning into more downwind runs where we're going out about to the same place and that's a whole nother mental game of consequence being that far offshore when i mean the other day I was supposed to do a shore runner and then it was really bad on the inside. And then I went way outside and I actually got mad at myself when I was back on the beach because I didn't have a leash on. I was like a quarter mile out and, you know, hitting big bait pods when I know we, we just had this big bait run and there was a shark attack here. And I was like, I got back to the beach and I was like, that was really stupid. But the yeah. thing is, it goes into that whole flow conversation of, it's really difficult to have conscious thought when you're in the middle of an intense activity. You know, I wasn't consciously thinking I'm going to go way offshore. I was just following the ease of the run and then ended right. up way offshore. It was a lesson yeah, that, and I learned that's it. Sketchy. Yeah, that can be real sketchy. When I was in, in Hood River, <laughs> I saw this guy with a helmet. He was obviously beginning learning he was probably lower on the totem pole than me and i look and this guy is swimming for his life and i'm like what in the world why is he and i looked and his board is sailing away from him downwind toward me and i was like whoa that's gnarly i guess he busted his leash or something so i got off my board put my paddle on my board and i intercepted his board and the guy finally caught up to me and he's all like thanks man and then i gave it back to him and he had ditched his paddle to swim for his board and everything. And I was like, hey, you want me to go and help you get your paddle? And he was uh, he was like, no, I'll get it. And then later on, I saw him get going and it came cruising down the past me. He was doing pretty good. And I looked and he didn't even have a leash on. And I was like, oh, my God, why would you even be out there without a leash? Yeah. And, I mean, I don't like leashes foiling. Uh, we have the luxury of being at uncrowded beach breaks, there's nobody around most of the time, but right. I always wear them downwind. Yeah, because, yeah, that's a different animal. I'll go without a leash in the surf, like, frequently. Yeah. But, yeah, the idea of being out there with no flotation and no board, like, watching my board sail away, yep. that's sketchy. <laughs> what are you bringing with you on your downwind runs now? I've started using, like, a camelback. I bring Gatorade endurance packets. I always have my watch or a phone on me. Do you have uh, some gear that you take? Right. And so I'll have a varying amount of gear to go with me. When I'm in full, like, bear mode, like, trying to go way out past the end of the jetty about a mile offshore or better, I have my Vicobi PFD that I got that has the place for the camelback in the back of it. And then my phone and a waterproof pouch. And then sort of Lance and I have developed Lance and Erica and I have developed sort of this remote ground support program, Erica Lane, Foil Love. There's an app we use called Glimpse. I guess there's other ones too, but we use Glimpse. And uh, so it'll show my live location to Lance. So if I'm going to be doing a pretty uh, sketchy downwind run, I'll share my location to Lance and he'll be, you know, in Corpus Christi or in New Braunfels and he can monitor me, kind of keep an eye on me and he'll know my last known position. I go missing he'll spend a long time and struggling. He can text me and be because everything's okay. So having the phone and the, that app is handy. And then I have a Bluetooth speaker that he got me that 
you push one button and you can use Siri to send calls and text messages and receive calls. And so, so the Bluetooth speaker, the water and the hydration pouch, and then the PFD high visibility colors. I like to wear a high visibility cap. Always wear, I like to use my waist leash that Ohi black belt waist leash is perfect for what I do. It's got the 10 foot single coil. So yeah, that's kind of our setup and I'll give my float plan. And I also, I'm very fortunate to have a fellow named Phil who was just my buddy that rented an apartment from me. I have an apartment building in Port Isabel. And anyway, it kind of formed up that he enjoyed going to the beach with me and taking pictures and, you know, doing this and that. And now he's become my ground support guy and photographer. So he drops me off and picks me up. And he, we did two-way radios at first, and now we do the phones. <clears throat> and then he'll take pictures of me coming in on the home stretch on my successful runs. <laughs> he'll come pick me up early on the aborts of my unsuccessful runs. <laughs> so I got a ground support guy. And then Lance is even real good that he'll send Phil text messages based on my position on the glimpse map. So I'm fortunate to have people that will help me through that. That's amazing. Here's a hack that I don't know if I've said on the podcast before, but I'll say it again. If you use an Apple Watch and you have the code on it, you have to unlock that before you use Siri. But if you can disable the code, so I've done that on my Apple Watch. So I just have to push the button on the side and then I have instant access to Siri on my watch. And that saved me a number of times. Yeah, because sometimes when the screen's wet, it won't let you unlock it. And that's happened to me before. Yeah. So that could be a problem. Yeah. It's funny. I had, so I had talked to my buddy, Ian, who's a new foiler in our area. And uh, I didn't have Phil there with me one day. And the conditions were good for a surf line downwinder prone. And I hadn't decided if I was going to do one or not. You know, I just, I had talked to Damien and he's like, yeah, I'll be down at the beach in about 30 minutes. You know, you just tell me what it looks like. And I got there before him and got out there and I had my, I took my phone in a pouch just in case and I got up and going and it was just so easy. I was down the coast, everything was just coming together, linking, going down. I was like, oh, this is great. And the conditions are excellent for going down the beach. And so I was so proud of myself. I was able to pull out my phone and go to my recent phone calls and find Damien and dial him up and. And I was like, hey, Dean, you able to pick me up down at Beach Access 9 if I get down there? And he's like, sure, I can go down there. And I was like, <laughs> that was the first time I had pulled out my phone and initiated a phone call while underway foiling. It was pretty cool. That's be able awesome. to make a plan on the fly and make communication execute it. That's epic. Love it. You got any projects lately? Switching gears? Oh, yes. So I'm building boards again. I've been going down the vacuum bagging rabbit hole, trying to learn. I'm always building a board and learning a lesson with every board. Oh, I should have done that different. And the next board better. And then I'm like, oh, I should have done that different. So I don't know. I'm another five boards in. I'm building, you know, downwind boards because they're so hard to get a hold of, as everyone knows. Yep. I built a I built a board that I was planning on getting dialed before I went to Hood River and got bogged down in the project and couldn't even get it into the water before it was time to pack it for Hood River. And the first time, it, to my knowledge, it's only touched fresh water now because I wrote it for Hood River. It was a 6'8 by 23, 120-liter board, and I got it to weigh 11 and a half pounds. And uh, anyway, I ended up using it there and then selling it to a woman named Ren Doherty, who won both the Sea Paddle Challenge wing categories for the women. And she took Jeremy Riggs's flat water paddle clinic while we were there. And she was looking to buy a downwind board. And I was looking not to ship it back, not to fly it back for another $190 or whatever. So I ended up selling it to her 
but yeah, learned learned stuff about that one. So yeah, on to the next iteration. So, what are you finding as characteristics that you like in a downwind board right? So, I had gone pretty small before this, you know, Barracuda revolution, and I built a five eleven board. It was a white one that I've been posting a lot of, and. I found that was way too small and Lance and I had a bunch of discussions about what's ideal and, you know, James Casey's information and podcasts and stuff. He's talking about, you know, going longer at that time, you know, six, five plus was a good idea. And Lance built himself a six, eight and I had gone and done a Corpus Christi Bay downwinder with Lance and, he could get going easily, and I was like struggling and struggling, even on a giant foil. And he had chalked it up to, you know, that board is just too small for you. I don't know why you have such a small board. You're going to have to build a bigger one. And I was like, okay, you tell me, Lance, what you think I ought to build. You tell me the dimensions. And he's like, it's got to be at least 6'8", and don't go any narrower than 23, and build it super thick, get lots of float. Because I guess he could recognize that I didn't have much stand-up paddle background. He has a lot. Kind of like you, he picked it up quickly. He had a lot of, he entered foiling through stand-up paddle foiling, which I think is huge. And so, yeah, that board was so much easier to get going. Six, eight by 23, 120 liters. So, yeah, definitely a bigger board. You got to be able to stand on it. You got to be able to balance on it, get it going. And once I was going with it, it didn't seem too cumbersome. I'm getting real picky about how heavy my boards are, trying to build them just as light as I can. That was one of the reasons I sold that downwinder board in Hood River was, you know, it kind of came in above my specs on weight when I was finished with it. I was a little bit bummed. Mm -hmm. So I'm just running a really high threshold for what I'll tolerate on the overall weight. But yeah, I mean, and I felt like that board, even with its high volume and long length, it was still a little bit tricky for me to stand on. I, I don't know if it was the characteristics of the shape of the board or just my inexperienced paddling, but but I took that same course with Jeremy Riggs and got some coaching from him, which was huge for me because I didn't even know anything about bracing, you know, with the paddle and, you know, various techniques that that he taught me so the money i spent getting him to coach me was worth every penny it was instrumental so i definitely recommend people that are chasing downwinders and don't have a lot of experience paddling like i didn't take a class from someone that's an expert yeah i mean there's a lot of nuance involved in paddling smaller subs and that's essentially what it is and then the foil underneath you have a different current component which changes it a little bit it changes the it gives you some stability in certain moments and then it takes it away in others but yeah it lets you it lets you shave off a lot of width on a board though and still feel pretty stable most of the time like i have a barracuda now that is insanely narrow yeah most of the time it's fine i had a weird run the other day where they were kind of it had gone from pretty north to pretty east so they were two chops in the water and it was a difficult paddling day it actually took me like four or five like attempts to even get a run on one and then i got up and then it was just too east i ended up not doing the whole run because it was like it really easy to downwind but to go right back to shore so yeah a board doesn't pump very well into the wind (laughs) it's like the downside but yeah it's really cool to watch the evolution of boards and what people are optimizing for because you're seeing people in downwind right now optimize for different aspects of it and i'm excited to see where it lands and what i'll want to ride in about a year right now one of my goals is riding smaller foils and you know so that early speed is amazing but i'm finding a limit to that a little bit it's like i can get on a smaller foil than the day should allow for or that's optimal for the day now i can pop up on smaller than what i want to be riding and so that was like a that was an interesting feeling i I hadn't thought about that yet but it's just you know if i'm up on the 140 
or even the 170 in really light conditions, I'd rather be on the 1440. Yeah, that's what I've found out too. Is you know, I think James Casey has talked about it at length that having a foil that's sort of timed for your conditions because it's not like the smallest one is always the best or the biggest one is going to be you know the easiest to stay gliding. There's sort of an optimal combination there. Yeah, and something like the 1440. It doesn't cover a lot of ground in the pump, but it lets you stay on foil with very light cardio. And so sometimes like on a really sparse days, I really enjoy that foil because I can just, if it's 30 seconds before I get my next bump, it's not hard to pump for 30 seconds on that foil versus something else that, that maybe it's better in the bumps, but then it's, you're working so much harder in between. Yeah. That's what I felt like was really noteworthy on Hood River. It's like, oh my God, I'm not working my butt off to stay going. <laughs> I'm not smoked. Like it, <laughs> if I had my heart rate on my watch, I would have been checking it out and stoked that it was so low. Yeah. That's a great feeling when you get in and you're like, I didn't even, it doesn't feel like I just ran 10 miles. I, yeah. That was, I was doing lap after lap at the hatchery. I just I like, couldn't get enough. I was, man, until I was exhausted. <laughs> were you driving back or were you riding the current back up? No, it was that short, short, like quarter mile run. So some of the times I was walking back up, but then we we're in the middle of a Hood River heat wave. So the pavement was roasting hot. So some of the times I was like, I'd rather let the current help me go back up and save my feet. And so it was both riding the current back up, paddling or getting out, walking back up. And then I figured out how to get my Walmart water shoes tucked into the back of my shorts. And I would ride with, do my rock start barefoot, ride downwind and then get out of the water, put my water shoes on, walk back up and <laughs> start all over again. That's rad. That's a trip I really want to make. There's a small chance I'm going to be able to make it for AWSI, which would be cool. Right. I hope you do it. And I hope that you get to to see what everybody talks about with those bumps, you know, just like how just amazing it is. Like like those bumps were made for learning to downwind. Everything will just click. Like I said, you just can't make a mistake there. It's super neat to have it all come together. Might spoil me. You know, the trip that I'm most excited about doing right now, though, is Maui. I, yep. I talk to Dave all the time and I just, I, yeah, that's the one I'm, at some point soon that's gonna happen so this like i said everything has just been surreal for me like everything seems like that's happening to me lately is like too good to be true so i got invited to the annual GoFoil event in maui and it's coming right up the 25th to the 29th and by some miracle i'm able to make it so i'm going to be traveling to maui here at the end of the month yeah so i'm like a little bit nervous, super excited. You know, am I going to go have my butt handed to me out in the big boy water out there? So GoFoil is going to have the Oli Oli Kai house rented as they usually do for their annual luau down there. It's just up from Kanaha. It's down from Spreckelsville. And I was just talking to Alex about it. So if I want to do kind of a baby run, I can paddle out straight out in front of the house and then try to do the run to the Kahului Harbor, which is, it's, I don't, I think it's in the ballpark of a mile or so, more or less. Mm -hmm. So if I can't get going, it's not a big deal. And if I do get going, that'll be amazing. But I don't want to have my butt handed to me for 10 miles <laughs> down my throat. <laughs> I think you're going to do fine, man. I think you're going to crush it. Thanks. Appreciate actually, the vote of confidence. I don't know if, if Texas is the same as Florida. I would assume it is. I actually think that our conditions are probably fairly challenging compared to some. I mean, I look at the wind forecasts on Maui and like we're downwinding most of the time when it's like 12 to 15, 15 to 17. We hit 20, right. it's a great day. You know, we're all fired up. But I mean, every day there looks like 20 gusting 35. That's right. I mean, maybe it's just getting on bigger, faster bumps is difficult, but. I feel like once you're up in 20 to 30 mile an hour winds, like there's a lot of carry happening, a lot of downwind push. 
right? How amazing would that be? Yeah. It's Real. Definitely going to be interesting to experience that. I think I agree with you that, you know, the conditions that we deal with are much more challenging. I had sort of an instrumental session just before Hood River. Lately, I've been using winging as just a means to an end. I've been using winging to get me out to a place with decent bumps that's kind of not accessible unless you have a jet ski or whatever, but I just wing out there. Mm-hmm. And then I can do little downwind runs and then do another lap, go back upwind, do another little downwind or run. And I found a little zone in my bay that had really been working well with the current running against the wind and it made these steep little bumps and just very challenging very technical very small amount of energy but it was there so this one session i had just before the hood river trip i just felt like things were clicking like i was able to have the right foil and the right bumps and have enough you know connections and things started to click and i was linking better than i had ever linked You know what I mean? There's getting going and staying going. And I had been gradually improving at staying going, but it seemed like that particular session, I really had things start to click. And then, like I said, when I got to Hood River, I was like, this is a piece of cake. You can't mess up here. (laughs) So rad. Do you find in Texas that you're mostly working like sideways to the bumps? Like here, you know, it's either southeast or northeast and we're going, you know, north on the southeast or south on on the northeast but you're there's always a component of having to keep yourself offshore because our beach is completely straight Are, do you guys right. have the same similar setup there so i've got this weird situation where so like i said i've been earnestly chasing doing downwinders for coming up on a year here in september september is when i really got after it a year ago and i found out we have this strange scenario i don't know i'm assuming that other places have it but you know i've never been really a wind sports guy so i never really paid that much attention to the wind Mm -hmm. but in the fall when our water gulf water temperature is really warm the strong winds are like strong on the gulf side down to the surface of the water and then as you get you know, into the winter and spring, when the water is cold, it's like the wind doesn't, is not strong on the Gulf side. It's strong in the bay or inland. It's, you know, good for downwinders in the bay, but the Gulf, like you'll go to the beach and the wind's blowing 25 all the way over there and you get to the beach and it's like 11 miles an hour. And you're like, what the heck happened? So, what I found is like when I was making most of my progress, learning downwinders in the gulf then the gulf ran out of good conditions for me like it went garbage all through the spring when i was starting to make some progress through the early winter so late winter and spring it just fell to pieces and so i'm just now coming up on the annual revival of the gulf downwinder conditions for my area so the water is getting up to i think it's 84 degrees now and It'll continue climbing through the fall, and the wind will be strong right on the Gulf. But it seems like right when I started getting into it, the conditions for Gulf downwinders, it just fell apart. So I've been doing all these bay downwinders, bay downwinders with Lance and Corpus Christi Bay, which is a whole different story. But the the prone downwinders that I've done, those are the only ones I've really had any success with in the Gulf, honestly. I haven't really had more than like a nautical mile of continuous foiling in the gulf to date i've made some real impressive runs prone but it seems almost like a different game like you described when you're in the surf line and you're riding those i guess you call them seams i call them wrinkles Mm -hmm. like these wind bumps that come you know perpendicular to the shore it's just different than when you're out in straight open ocean bumps and the bay downwinders are just like a miniature ocean open ocean bump so just a different game altogether so i haven't like i said i haven't had success in my gulf stand-up downwinders just yet i'm kind of excited to see where this fall takes me i think that our conditions are amazing in the fall and early winter 
So I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, I did the one, one most successful run I had was early on and it was in the late fall and I kind of got lucky, got up and going. And I found at that time with the bumps, the way they were and my skill level, the way it was, I kept going right, going right, going right. So I'm headed north, you know, my beach is east facing like you and I'm going right. And so as I foiled along, I'm just getting further and further offshore. (laughs) And and it was early on when the paddle that I was riding was one that a guy had given me because he cracked the shaft and I repaired it. I wrapped it around carbon fiber. And and when I got way out there and I finally wiped out, came off a foil and I went to start paddling up again, I realized that my repair was cracking right in the middle of this first point. (laughs) <laughs> and i'm like a mile and a half offshore I'm like oh, i better not go ahead and finish cracking this thing all the way in half that probably wouldn't be good so i kind of limped in but that was my most successful golf run you jotted down some notes before we talked on some things that you had on your mind recently and one of them was foiling alone or with people right. with friends what are your thoughts on that yeah so you know Texas, they're just as much slower adoption of foiling than we were all expecting. So still, you know, how many years coming up on five years into this game, I'm still predominantly foiling by myself, 100% by myself. I have two buddies here that have picked up foiling and they're fun to foil with. But unless our schedules come together and we make a concerted effort to foil together, my opportunistic foil schedule doesn't usually jive with theirs. So 97% of the time I'm foiling as the only foiler in the lineup, or maybe even the only person riding waves in the lineup. So it's been interesting when we had the foilers of Aloha Texas tour with Jason Tangelin and the crew came in. It was weird for me to foil with a bunch of people. You know, and when I've foiled in Maui and various other places, Cocoa Beach, it's just weird for me to foil with a group of more than two or three of us. So, you know, I often wonder is, am I missing out on the progression and the pushing each other? Because, you know, I don't have anybody to, I feel like when you foil, even with one other foiler, you're trying to show off for them. You're trying to like show them up. You're trying to, push the level but when you're foiling alone you know who's pushing you and who are you showing off for you know i wonder would i be so much better if i was in this group of people really you know trying to one-up one another pushing the limits yeah i mean i i can see the other side of that coin you know here we've got pedigo finch austin it's it, Robbie. It's like Dave. It's really inc- competitive in the water. So it's almost like sometimes I enjoy foiling by myself because I can be a little bit more experimental or kind of just like try out some newer stuff because when everyone's in the water together, you're always kind of trying to compete. But I do think that it pushes the level. I mean, I if you read Talent Code, which is a book on these hot spots, uh, it's one of the themes in the book where you've got like Dominican baseball, there's places where excel at a a rapid pace based on the competition, the group, and then that dynamic feeding each other. That's why you've seen like a lot of the, you know, at one point, Major League Baseball had an an inordinate amount of people come out of like one small town. Right. You've got all these Major League Baseball players come out of one small town. You see that in surfing too. Yeah. I can imagine. And I almost wonder if there isn't some small effect like that just with Instagram makes it to her not completely alone. You know, I can try to get some clips of me to show off and I'm trying some stuff so I can get those clips to put them on Instagram. You know, I'm trying to be a part of the community online and try to give and receive encouragement and tips and tricks and the next level. So, yeah, I guess it's probably a stronger effect live and in person and more high level people you're with, the better it is. But yeah, definitely. I think a lot of us are in the same boat. We're not really social media people. I don't want to 
peruse Facebook for all the gossip and tell people about cleaning out my closet and whatnot. Social media is not really our thing, but I'm glued to Instagram for the foiling progression and for the not missing out and keeping up with what's new and hot. It's kind of the the modern surf magazine for foiling. Yep. Yep. I think it's important for the sport. It's a debate I have with a couple of friends. I have a friend who's incredibly smart and very anti-social media, but then, you know, every once in a while he'll ask me something and I'm like, well, do you want me to ping Instagram? And we'll know immediately. (laughs) And he's got a lot of very valid points about it, but for foiling, I think it's been, I think it's been great. You know, it's, the conversations that you can be in as a collective learning from, you know, any given day I'm talking to, you know, 10 of the best guys in the world and I can ask them their thoughts and learn from them. And I think that's just so incredibly valuable. So amazing that even these people will reply to direct messages from anybody. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. I think that it's that we've all, stumbled upon this same like portal to like a new world and we're all experiencing it and are so frothy that it's happened that you're just so excited there's not a lot of people that you can that understand how excited anyone in foiling is right now and talk to somebody who isn't in foiling and think you're nuts immediately or they just don't believe you yeah i that's what i'm thinking is they just they can't put their brain into the place where you are when you're foiling. Like they cannot imagine it. Cause if they could imagine it, all these people groveling in the surf would be foiling and just having an amazing time like us. Yep. It's a testament to what kind of person gets into foiling too. someone who's open-minded, who has vision and can see the possibilities. And cause foiling isn't the most aesthetically pleasing sport until you appreciate the nuance of it. You're not throwing huge spray and it's not as radical as surfing in a lot of ways until you understand it. We recently had a guy named Chaz, super good dude, see us foiling at the beach one day and basically just come up and say, hey, I've surfed my whole life. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen on our coast ever. Do you have a setup I can buy from you right now? And he just came back to the garage and just bought a sick board and foil off me and he foils with us all the time now he's so frothy and he's getting it really quickly because he sees the potential yeah that's the testament to him and his brain being able to wrap his head around what he's seeing i guess everybody else's it's like me looking at someone riding a one wheel like oh that's probably fun but i'm not into that <laughs> not as fun as foiling <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah. All right. So we're hitting the hour mark right now. I'm starting something new with this podcast, which I'm going to call for today. And it might change 11 questions, which are kind of 11 generic questions. I'm going to probably ask in some form to everyone who's coming on the show. Are you ready? Yeah, cool. I like this. All right. I think, <laughs> I, I think you will. I think you will. How do you define success? Oh, that's great. I used to give this talk to my students when I was a junior high kid. I said, you know, I want you to achieve your goals, whatever your goals may be and what your goals are and whether you've achieved them is your level of success. So, so that's kind of what I say. Success is getting to where you want to go. If you have a good concept of what you want to do and then you can start to get there, then that's success. And me, for like an American lifestyle person, like success, you know, what is success for a person? Like driving a really expensive car and living in a two-story house with a pool. (laughs) I think that success is just being a content person. And for me, my Christianity is a big part of being a content and fulfilled person. So I think that getting there is a measure of success. It's not a matter of how much you have or how many people look to you for information or inspiration or you know fame or fortune or any of that it's just how fulfilled you are with what you've got how do you define happiness happiness i guess it all ties back into your contentedness and your having what you want i think i have happiness because i have more than i wanted and gotten I've had so much more success and joy in the parameters I've been talking about than 
I ever expected to have. So happiness is getting what you want and more. What motivates you at this point in your life? Part of my motivation, like as a man, is, you know, to be, to follow through with my responsibilities. So doing what I need to do as a motivator, understanding that there's things that responsibilities I need to fulfill and jobs I need to do and things I need to take care of. That's part of my motivation. And then the other part of my motivation is straight up like a little kid. I just want to go out and play and have fun. So those are kind of my two motivators, the the motivators that made my mom proud and the motivators that made my mother disappointed in me. <laughs> you can't go play all the time. So I think yeah. balancing those two is the key. You're right. Right on. I, I absolutely agree. You know, you can overdo one or the other with yep. different consequences. Yep. What is your proudest foiling accomplishment? Right now, it kind of changes month by month. <laughs> right now is my rock start downwinders at the hatchery. I'm super happy with that. Uh, your best foil trip? Well, that one that I went to, I stayed for a week in Maui with Alex Aguera. Carlo was out of town, and I got to stay at their house for, I think it was nine days, and cruise around and foil the spots with and without Alex and go out on the boat for a guided Kihei run and got to tow into big overhead Pier 1 with Archie Kalepa and the GoFoil crew. And that was just unreal. Still hands down the best experience foiling I've had on a trip. What's your favorite marine animal to see on your runs and the best story? It's funny. I like to see I like to see crabs swimming at the surface. They're kind of interesting. I'm like, oh, there's a crab. Although that's you know, I may like to see turtles. I had this one run where I was doing a prone downwinder in the surf, and I'd see a turtle like pop out of the surface of a wave, and that seemed to be the wave to head for. And then it was weird. I had like three or four of those pop up on the run, like. They popped up like in the wave that I needed to go for. And I'm like, this is weird. It's like being guided by the turtles down this run. But the turtles in the Gulf are very different than the turtles in Maui. They, they see you and they get freaked and swim away in a hurry. And what was the second part of the question? You told it the best story. Oh, okay, cool. What music are you getting hyped to right now? It's funny. When I got this Bluetooth speaker to take out in the water with me, it gave me the opportunity to play music while I'm foiling, which is kind of a new thing for me. I've not really ever been into having music with me in the water. And <laughs> believe it or not, some of the music that I've enjoyed listening to in the water the most was uh, old school bluegrass music. It's the craziest experience, like cruising down <laughs> with old school, like Ralph Stanley bluegrass music playing him hymns and bluegrass how do you think you do at managing the foil life balance i think i'm a little bit poor at reining in the foiling i've kind of i take it too far <laughs> i should spend more time working getting stuff done is my board ready yet so yeah i think that i'm a little out of balance but not heavily out of balance just enough to irritate my wife usually what do you think about on downwind runs like I said, it's weird that people's words come to my conscious brain as I'm foiling, just like their advice. Like I said, I'll hear Dave's words or Jeremy Riggs' words or James Casey, you know, some of these people that I've really studied, including your words, they'll come to my brain while I'm foiling. And it's weird. I used to, when I was surfing, you would get these dumb, like, one-word phrases stuck in your head, at least for me. I don't know about other people, but. It would become like an annoyance, like this stupid half of a phrase stuck in my head, and it would just be on repeat. And luckily, I haven't had that foiling. It generally becomes full thought. And I think it's noteworthy that when you're foiling, you can like talk to people. Whereas, you know, when you're surfing, it's weird. I never was able to really like make a sentence and tell somebody something while I was, you know, going through the middle of a ride, you know, it's just like 
But now I pull out my phone and make a phone call during a foil ride. But it's interesting. <laughs> What's your biggest foiling fear? Yeah, I guess just like getting an artery cut. <laughs> That's probably it. And last one, what's your foiling bucket list? Oh, yeah, that thing, it gets bigger every day. Definitely, probably my biggest one is the one that's it's almost on the horizon of being able to get it. I've done a lot of things foiling, including tanker waves and a lot of things other people have wanted to do. But doing a Maliko run with the uh, heavy hitters over there would just be absolutely the pinnacle of it. Like... Dave Kalama, Jeremy, all those Blue Water Surf Team, Tomo, Alex, all those guys. If I could have a successful run, have any kind of success on one of those runs with the big boys, I would be absolutely over the moon. So I'm like saying my prayers and taking my vitamins, getting ready for that trip. I'm hoping that I can put it all together. So I want to do a Maliko run at the Blue Water Surf Team. Something makes me think that you're going to accomplish that in short order. Well, I appreciate the confidence. I think I have a lot less confidence in myself than I should, but I'm better safe than sorry in my mind. I just don't want to, I don't mind being a fool. I just don't want to be a fool in front of everyone that I idolize. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all suffer from imposter syndrome, right? Right, right, yeah. for sure. They kept paddling up the river, like way up where they'd be doing these, hey, everybody get in the truck. We're going to go up to Tunnel 5 and do this. You know, it's like a mile and a half, maybe, downwinder run at the gorge. And I didn't have enough confidence in myself to jump in the back of the truck and go up there with those guys. Even though, you know, I'm relatively sure I probably could have made the run. And once I was up and going, I'm fairly certain I would have made the run. But I just didn't have the self-confidence or the you know, the idea of self-efficacy that I could be there and not slow everybody down. I didn't want to be the guy they all had to wait on or the guy that had to call for another ride back up. Hey, can you drive the vehicle back up to Tunnel 5? I couldn't get going. <laughs> <laughs> we have this thing. It started on a North Runner that we did. It was buddy Jaybird and Brian um, and Austin. And I just had a shocker. And it was about a four or five mile run. And I probably finished a half an hour, which is a long time because the whole run can take 20 minutes if you do it right after them. Yeah. And I put my shirt up over my face as I walked up the beach because I just, I was getting hazed the whole way. So I just, you know, <laughs> came, covered my face. So now that's like the running joke, like kind of whoever finishes the run last is walking up the, the beach with their face covered. That's shame. funny. Oh man, that's <laughs> tough. I had that discussion with various people foiling, like, is doing a downwinder like a group sport where you wait for the last guy and you make sure they get in? Or is it a every man for themselves kind of a thing? Like, is it, you know, a good idea to take care of whoever's struggling, you know, because I've been the guy that struggled and I've been the guy that went on ahead. It's like... What do you guys do is if somebody gets left behind and you don't know if they're going to make it or not, is everybody gone home and forgotten about them? Or is it like, Hey, where's that guy? No, we, we make sure everybody gets off the water. Okay. Like the other day, Brian kind of, sorry, throwing you under the bus, Brian, but had a shocker on a run and we, you know, we just stayed down on the beach for a long time on that one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't really his fault. We hit the same bait pod and Oof. he was riding a smaller foil than I was. And it he stalled out in the pod and I kept going. And then there were no chips. We Oof. had just got the last chips, the tide on a shallow bar, thought thinking we were gonna make the run because we normally do. And then he came off foil and basically said he had to paddle in, which we were pretty far offshore. So that was probably 15, 20 minutes and then run up the beach, like a half mile to get another chip. And it was a brutal process for him, but yeah, we wait and we all now wear Apple watches too. So you can kind of keep in touch if everything's working correctly. Yeah, that's absolutely critical in my opinion. I don't think that people should forgo that technology that ensures their safety when it's available. I mean, it's 300 bucks for an Apple Watch and 10 bucks a month. And that seems possibly expensive 
until you have one instance and uh, you know and then you would pay thousands of dollars you know if something right. goes wrong so it ends up being a pretty cheap piece of insurance think about all the stupid right. stuff we spend money on absolutely what was it the motorcycle helmet ad that was in the motorcycle magazine i saw a long time ago if you have a cheap head buy a cheap helmet <laughs> think about that. that's great that's good all right eric what do you want to leave folks with this has been a good one well i think that i had i've said it before that we need to continue interacting with one another i think that this foiling community has been so good everybody is it's like the uh, probably the early days of surfing were and i think that everybody needs to keep showing each other aloha and it's been such a positive experience for me like i said i never expected to have such a good experience of foiling and everything as i have it's been above and beyond so anytime that you all get a chance to be show aloha to other people take it be cool you know reach out answer questions be nice you know share so that's my that's what i'd like to leave people with it it's been such a cool thing for me people that like these people i just went on a trip with they're way above my level what what do they need to answer my questions for you know they take the time to talk to me and you know reason through what i'm trying to explain to them and it's just super cool. Like I said, people that'll answer DMs and they're so above the level of the person asking, but they still take the time and trouble to give it a thoughtful answer. So keep it up. Keep being the awesome, you know, foil community that has formed up. Hasn't been any bad vibes that I've experienced. So Yeah, I agree one hundred percent. That's one of the reasons why we just started the forum forum.progressionproject.com just as another place for us to chat in a more open manner where Instagram is a great place to ask one-to-one questions. It's tough to have a conversation with lots of people. And so that's one of the hopes behind it is to help create that community. It seems to be happening, which I'm super stoked about. Cool. Yeah. That way everybody can get information, not just the one person asking. Yeah. That, that was the idea. So killer. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming back on the show. And I hope that our cro- our paths cross again here shortly and get to share some more waves together. Right on. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. This is the Progression Project Podcast. Deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.